Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1105 of the Juicebox Podcast. Adam's two-year-old daughter was diagnosed at nine months with type 1 diabetes. Adam's family has a history of autoimmune conditions. Adam has three sisters, one with celiac, one with Graves, and the other with Hashimoto's. Adam has just tested positive for celiac, and they've had his other son tested as well. Most recently, Adam has a Hashimoto's diagnosis of his own. While you're listening today, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. I wouldn't normally tell you this, but uh, Rob edits the podcast from Wrong Way Recording, and he gives me a notepad of like his interpretation of the show. And um, I use, well, I don't want to give it away, but like I use some of his words when I'm introducing the show and stuff like that all the time. But I just realized here he said, this is a very cool and interesting story. Adam did tons of research, got a CGM before they left the hospital. And, and he goes, Rob goes on and on here. But anyway, Rob thinks this is a great one. So I hope you do too. Also use my link drinkag1.com slash juicebox and save 40% at cozyearth.com with the offer code juicebox at checkout. If you're not already subscribed or following in your favorite audio app, please take the time now to do that. It really helps the show and get those automatic downloads set up so you never miss an episode. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by US Med. USmed.com slash juice box or call 888-721-1514. US Med is where my daughter gets her diabetes supplies from, and you could too. Use the link or number to get your free benefit check and get started today with US Med. My name is Adam. Uh, I have a two-year-old daughter who was diagnosed at nine months old, so it was about a year and three months ago. I also have a son who's four years old. So, yeah, I think that's, your, that's it. Your daughter's the type one. Does your son have any autoimmune stuff? Oh, yeah. So my son doesn't. He actually got tested for celiac disease and has the antibodies, but he hasn't, he didn't have like the positive markers yet. So it's like one of those things where he might become celiac at some point, but um, we're not sure yet. Okay. So I guess that leads me into after Bryn was diagnosed, I kind of dug into like the autoimmune history of our family and found there's a lot more than, than we thought. So my sister has celiac, my, I have three sisters. So one has celiac and like my other sister has Graves disease and the other one just found out she has Hashimoto's. So like a few months after Bryn was diagnosed, I tested for celiac and thyroid and my celiac test came back positive. So now I am a celiac for like almost, I guess it was like last November. And then my, my thyroid levels came back in range, but then like after listening to your, all your episodes on thyroid, the in range value was like, uh, I think I put it down yet, like 2.3. Mm-hmm. And I had some, nothing like really serious symptoms, but I had some things like after listening to all the symptoms and like reading more about it, or I was like, okay, I'll probably check on this later. But I didn't, I didn't follow up because I had the celiac diagnosis and I had to get like the endoscopy scheduled and all that. But then like five months after that, I tested thyroid again and it was like 3.25. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling some of these symptoms. And I got, I got officially diagnosed with Hashimoto's like in February this year. So 
it's like four months ago. I had a slightly over two TSH come back the last time I had blood work. And there's actually a, a script downstairs. I have to go get blood work done again. They're testing it one more time. So I'm not, not sure where yeah, that's Yeah, it was 2.74 and then 3.35. And then I was like, okay, I want I want to get this treated. Because the, the biggest symptom that was scary was I was starting to like just stand up and feel like really nauseous, like kind of like dizzy or lightheaded. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I don't want to be like carrying one of my kids and just like collapse or something. So yeah. I, I finally was like, I got to take care of myself a little bit and get this figured out. Good for you. Um, but I have been, I've been adjusting the dosage. So I started on 25 like MCGs and I'm, I'm on 50 now, but like every six weeks we're, we're adjusting and slowly going up. Are you noticing your symptoms lessening? Yeah, I think that like the dizziness, nauseous one, that was like the scariest one. That one I, I think I had like one spell since I started the medication. So it used to be a little bit more frequent. There's a lot of things that are hard to tell if it's like the celiac or the thyroid. Cause I, I was gluten-free since November and I started the uh, thyroid medication like middle of February. Mm-hmm. So there's like some symptoms that overlap there. I have like really cold hands and I have like dry hands and uh, I, I usually got like pretty bad headaches, like quite frequently, like maybe like once, once or twice a month. And those really have subsided. So I don't have a lot of those anymore. Wow. Uh, but it's, I wouldn't say I had like serious symptoms for either one. Uh, it was just like a bunch of minor stuff that like, it was just normal to me. Cause I, I think like, you know, you just kind of live with what you have and yeah, other priorities kind of got in the way. If it wasn't for Bryn's diagnosis, you would you have ever looked into this? Do you think? For sure not. Like, hmm. I, I think maybe the gluten thing, like I, my wife has probably said something in the past, like maybe you should get it tested out. Like, but I never had like what I, I never thought I had serious symptoms. Uh, but once I cut out gluten, like I started noticing a lot of like a lot of things get better. So it was like it was just normal for me for a long time to just feel that way. And can I have some specific guess, examples of that? How did you feel? I guess like after eating, I would feel full. Like what I, I would describe it as just feeling really full sometimes. And it wasn't like every time I ate, but I would just yeah kind of feel like uncomfortably full. Uh, and I guess that's like one of the big symptoms. Like I always read it as feeling bloated. I, I don't know if I like downplayed the symptoms, but I never was like, you know, I have to go sit down or something cause I'm so bloated. And like after Bryn was diagnosed, I talked to my sister who has celiac and she, she had much more severe symptoms. Like she would get rashes and she would feel like so full. She couldn't, she couldn't like, she'd have to go lay down. Hmm. So I never had anything that severe. What kind of, um, so yours was just feeling full, but you didn't have, like, what have you noticed clear up since you've cut gluten out? Oh, like, um, bowel movements definitely got better. I don't know. This is kind of, <laughs> kind of weird to talk about, but I don't, I don't mind. So like the, the kind of like texture of the poop, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a, uh, something, I don't know if you ever heard it called like a brown marker poop. It's like where you just keep wiping and it seems like you're just wiping a marker. Sure. So that was like kind of normal for me. And in one of your episodes, you actually talked, I think it was like Arden's friend or something, talked about having a ghost, like a ghost poop or a ghost wipe your butt or something like that. Yes. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't think I ever had that like before I stopped eating gluten. Wow. So when I like first had that, I was like, oh, wow, like I don't need a wipe. Like this is like cool. Like yeah. so like that was like something like I just thought it was normal. It like it had just always been that way as long as I could remember. Okay. I want to And now it's like much 
much better. I want to give Sanjana credit. She calls it a spooky dookie. Oh, a spooky dookie. Yeah. I'll have to start using that because one. there's nothing yeah, there. You mentioned ghosts at, at yeah. some point. I might not have done a good job the first time I, I, I <laughs> talked about it. It just popped into my head exactly. I can hear her voice, uh, you know, because you wipe and there's nothing there. Um, so yeah. a spooky dookie. Yeah. So that, like, I guess that's supposed to happen a lot more than it did with me. And I, I just, like, hadn't remember that happening before. Yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of crazy that, like, you just it just becomes normal for you and you just, you don't know what's different really. Cause it's not something you like talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like I had like, every time I went to the bathroom, it was like 20 wipes. It was just like, you know, it was always like a handful and it was just never that good. So mm -hmm. it wasn't like diarrhea, like runny or anything, but it was just like, you know, kind of sticky and soft. Yeah. No, I understand what you're saying. Like you're trying to wipe off a marker. <laughs> it still happens. Like I, I think my, I have a gastroenterologist now and she thinks like I might have to try cutting out dairy or something because I my like celiac blood levels are still a little bit elevated. Um, but it's kind of hard because I have young kids and we don't we don't like stop gluten for them. So like there's a, a chance of cross contamination and, and all that. So just trying to pick apart all of that stuff and see like what's the cause there. Did you have any improvements with um, like energy or clarity, mental clarity, anything like that? Uh, maybe a little bit mental clarity. I'm always getting like not enough sleep with the kids. So like I've always had a little bit of sleep deprivation, mm -hmm. but uh, I think I, I think I definitely have less like brain fog. Yeah. Okay. I, it's kind of hard to quantify. Sure. And also your I do TSH, feel like a, a little bit better also, overall. Yeah. Also your TSH is moving up. So you might not, you might not know exactly what clear feels like yet but it sounds like you're getting close to it. That's the hard part. And like, I also lost like 15 pounds out of nowhere, like right around the celiac diagnosis. So I don't know if like something triggered for me and like the thyroid started kind of going out of whack faster or something, but there was like a, a brief thing where I lost like 15 pounds in like a one month time frame without really changing my diet. And it was like before I had fully cut out gluten because I had just gotten the diagnosis. Okay. I've seen people get hyper before they get hypothyroid. So like they yeah, lose, so they'll lose a bunch of weight, like while their thyroid's like going wonky. You know what I mean? Yeah, that could be. Yeah. But then like my thyroid level, I checked in August and it was like 2.7. And I lost all that weight in like October before the before I cut out gluten. Yeah. It can it can hit you so quickly. I've seen like right before we right as we were diagnosing my son with Hashimoto's, his thyroid went from like in the twos to like in the sevens. And then they did a repeat test Whoa. and it was back down lower again, but not that high. And it was it like so it kind of I don't want to say dances around, but like it's almost like there's like fits and starts and stuff as it's kind of like happening. And I've seen some people, seen, I'd be very specific. Um, after Kelly had Arden, I remember joking with her, I'm going to have to get you, like, pregnant a couple of more times because you look like a supermodel. And, like, it just, like, after, like, which was weird. Like, she just had a baby, and she was just so lean, like, afterwards. Mm -hmm. And and it was, I think she got hyper before she got hypo. And so. Oh, I see. Yeah. And I've, yeah, and I've I heard lost the weight, and they're like. That's weird because that's usually the opposite, like not Hashimoto's. That's usually the Graves or right. thyroidism. Yeah, but, I wonder if it doesn't bounce uh, a little bit while it's settling into its new normal. 
Um, anyway, that was very. Yeah, I dropped. I dropped like that fifteen, and I've been staying like pretty steady for the last like five months. So, hmm. wow. just kind of weird that it happened. Oh no, kidding. Well, yeah, I mean that was not very technical, and I'm not a doctor and all. So, blah blah blah. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, okay, so anything on your wife's side, or is she like an island over there going, uh oh. I'm I'm all alone here. Nothing's happening to me. Or does she have stuff? Nothing too? like super serious. Uh, her her dad got his goiter removed, so there's some thyroid stuff, mm-hmm. um, but nothing that like really stands out. Okay, on her side, it's like my family has like a whole like laundry list of autoimmune stuff, and hers is is mostly mild compared to that. Mm-hmm. And you're originally from the middle of the country. Yeah, Wisconsin. Okay, so my. Yeah, that's where all my family's from. Got it. Okay, so your daughter is diagnosed. She's nine months old or nine months ago? Yeah, nine months old. Wow. So like a year and three months ago, I think it is. How did that present? So it, it came on really fast. Uh, we thought she had, it was like flu-like symptoms almost. Like she she had a little trouble breathing. She was really lethargic, like wanting to sleep the whole day. Mm-hmm. And it was just like in the span of a day. So like around, I think like around lunchtime, we noticed like, something's wrong. Um, and I, we thought it might just be the flu. We'd been getting like sick on and off a little bit. She was having like a hard time breathing, but it was, it was weird. It, it almost sounded like she was congested, but she wasn't congested. Like she could, you could breathe clearly, but she was doing like those kind of heavy, heavy labor breaths. Yeah. So we, you know, we did let her rest for most of the day and then it got to be, it's like around 10 PM at night. It just got like way worse really fast. So like, her breathing was much more labored. You could tell she was like struggling to breathe. Um, her lips actually started turning pale. And that's when we were like, okay, we got to like, we got to go to the emergency room or do something. So we took her and this was like after we had put my other son to bed and uh, we don't have like family nearby that can like come and watch the kids. So we had to wake, wake him up, get in the car, take him to the, e- take her to the ER. And you can only bring in like one parent. So I stayed in the car with my son and my wife went in and I think like pretty quickly they did a blood draw and found the glucose. I think it was 802. Hmm. So she was in DKA. Her veins were like so small and, and um, shriveled that it was so hard for them to get the, the IV in. I remember like it taking a, a long time while she was in the, the hospital. Uh, but we went to the ER by our house and they, they diagnosed it and called the children's hospital and they couldn't actually give her the insulin because they they had to do like a dilution and they needed like some something like potassium or something to to help slowly bring her down so we had to she had to take an ambulance from from that er to the children's hospital and then i guess that's that's most of what happened she stayed in the icu for three days uh, as they like slowly tried to level her out and then we spent one day in like the endo the regular endo department and then she went home after that wow pretty quick yeah, so, but it, it all it all came on really fast, and yeah. it was it was not expected at all. Well, when you said she b- was breathing oddly, so those are those Kusmal respirations, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I yeah, thought, for sure, like yeah. after after yeah. learning more about it, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, I thought I thought for sure you were going to say she had DKA then when she got there, but they got her out of the hospital pretty quickly. Yeah, I think it was four four days total. Oh. I mean, we got there like late Sunday night, I believe. And she went home on Friday. Mm. Nine months old. What what could she have possibly weighed at that point? 
I don't know, maybe like 18 pounds, yeah. 20 pounds. Did she lose any weight? But the weird thing is she hadn't, she hadn't gone backwards. Like she had continued growing the oh. whole time. And her A1C at diagnosis was an eight. So Quick I onset. feel like it was a, yeah. a really fast onset. Yeah, fast onset right to DKA, like Zoom, like that. Looking back. It, it, and it was like the day before she was completely normal and fine, like wow. running around or crawling around, I guess. Yeah. She was like a very mobile baby. That's something. Okay, so now, I mean, at that weight, how do they, I mean, how do they even describe to you what you're supposed to do? Uh, so they gave her, she's on diluted insulin, like a U10 mix, so 10% strength. Mm -hmm. And she got, thankfully, she got the Dexcom G6 before she left the hospital. Uh, but they give you, like, these conversion charts, which is basically, like, if she... If her blood sugar is like X amount, then use this. It's like a, a correction factor, but before they really teach you how to do the math, they give you like a chart that's like if her blood sugar is 200, give her like this amount of insulin. Right. And it's all like using the diluted insulin factor. Uh, and then you just kind of, she was on Levomir for basal. And the original dose they gave, I think, was too much in the morning and not enough at night. So we had to kind of tweak that over time. Mm hmm. But yeah, it's it's they don't they don't help you a whole lot. They just kind of give you the the conversion chart and say like when she eats this much, they just like guessed on her carb ratio in the beginning. Yeah, and we we went with that. But at the time, she was like she was only eating like ten carbs a day, maybe like she was still breastfeeding. She was never she didn't really get into the solid foods that much. So that was like one one thing my wife noticed before she was diagnosed, and we talked to like her pediatrician about it. She was never like my son was super into food. He would eat like crazy amounts by nine months old. But my, my daughter was a little bit slower on the solids. Hmm. But yeah, I think that's well, that's kind of what they tell you. Is yeah, just the, it, it feels they give like, you, like the initial doses and you have to adjust it. Yeah, it feels like they're giving you just like the hospital, like what they would do if you were in the hospital. That like, well, yeah, for sure. And well, it was like, you know, right? don't correct unless she's above like 280 or something. Right. Because the sure her body is so sensitive to insulin. Yeah. And like we qu we quickly realized that was like not good enough and tried tried to get better. I see. Yeah, yeah. I, I I just I had an experience recently with someone in the hospital who was using insulin, and the idea was if they hit this number, then they get this much insulin. And I saw one time whatever the number was, you know, if they're one forty six, then they can have insulin. The test came back one forty five, like literally, and the nurse was like, she doesn't get any insulin. And I'm like, I'm like, test again. She'll be higher. You know, like, and she's like, well, you, you yeah. want, you want her to have insulin? And I was like, I mean, I don't want her blood sugar to be 145 or 146. Yeah. The nurse didn't even understand that. The nurse is like, no, no, there's a number here. And if you go over that number, then I give you this insulin. And that's it. That was the level of, and it was a great nurse, by the way, who was helping with a lot of other things and really terrific. But when we got to this subject, didn't know what they were talking about. Like, like beyond, yeah. beyond the hospital and how the hospital handles it. So it feel like it just occurred to me, like it, they sent you home with their instructions, basically what they would do if, she, if your daughter was in the hospital. Yeah. I mean, we had yeah. like the, the diabetic training that they give where you like, you practice doing like a blood figure stick and you give a shot or whatever into an orange or whatever. So we had like the, the day or two of training, but it, it was kind of hard because we had my four-year-old son who was at home. And my wife was with my daughter in the hospital. So I was I was coming back to the hospital like at night after he had gone to bed and we had someone watch him. So I was like going back and forth between the hospital and I was getting like training at different time than my wife was. Hmm. 
but we we figured out eventually. It's just yeah, well, and and it's trial and error, right? There really is no other way to figure it out. Yeah, and we we pretty quickly like the numbers they gave us weren't working, and and like we were trying to go back and forth with the endo team, but like I was just like, we have to do like less insulin here, more insulin there. And we we changed it ourselves like right away. What was the indicator that told you like? You said we knew, but what showed you like this isn't right? Were they numbers? Like, how did you know what to shoot for? Yeah, blood sugar numbers. So we would see her. She was still breastfeeding, which hits it hits like pretty hard initially, but also has like fat and protein, so it kept her high. Mm -hmm. And she would breastfeed like throughout the night, so like she was getting uh, milk at night, and her blood sugar was like constantly going up. We had our alarm set like really high at that point. I think they were set to like three hundred, which seems ridiculous now, but. With with the like diluted insulin, we couldn't correct unless she was above like 280 or something. So we set our alarms there and we're correcting. But we knew like the basal at night because it's really hard to wake up a baby and give like an injection. We kind of fixed that by just cranking up her basal at night. So her levomir was given like once in the morning and once at night. Mm-hmm. So her nighttime dosage was like one and a half units and her daytime was like a half unit. And even the half unit during the day was like a little too much. So I think we were eyeballing like quarter units at for a while at the beginning. But overnight, she could handle heavier basal because of the breastfeeding. Yeah, 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 exactly. Wow. And she wasn't eating as much in the day. So it was like for her base. And we were, because of the diluted insulin, like we could only dose if she ate like four or five carbs, like even with diluted. We like we couldn't dose for like really small meals. And she was only eating like four or five carbs. So sometimes it'd be like even the, the smallest dose you could do in a syringe was too much. Mm-hmm. Was she growing well? Uh, she definitely started eating better after getting insulin. It took a little while, but she, she's been like on a good growth curve. Like she's always like, you know, like 75th or 80th percentile. So okay. she's like above average in weight, Nice, uh, which is like one of the reasons why we didn't kind of suspect something earlier. Mm. She's never like slowed down in growth. Um, but that's, that's kind of why we pushed for a pump so fast is because we couldn't we couldn't give small enough dosages with, with a syringe, even with the ten percent insulin. Right, and you know we got we got the whole story like you have to be on syringes for six months or whatever before you can get the pump. But we we really like pushed back and we're like I was calling them like almost every day like telling them like this doesn't work. Uh, she would have like breast milk before her nap and she would go to like three fifty or something and we don't want to like wake her up from her nap and yeah. give her insulin because then she doesn't go back to sleep. We had like a whole list of reasons why we needed it. We, we convinced them eventually and got, I think we got into the pump like a month after, a month and a half after her diagnosis. So we have the Omnipod Dash now. Diabetes comes with a lot of things to remember. So it's nice when someone takes something off of your plate. US Med has done that for us. When it's time for Arden supplies to be refreshed, we get an email. Rolls up and in your inbox says, Hi Arden, this is your friendly reorder email from US Med. You open up the email, it's a big button that says click here to reorder, and you're done. Finally, somebody taking away a responsibility instead of adding one. US Med has done that for us. An email arrives, we click on a link, and the next thing you know, your products are at the front door. That simple. USMed.com slash juice box or call 888 888- 721-1514. I never have to wonder if Arden has enough supplies. I click on one link, I open up a box, I put the stuff in the drawer, and we're done. US Med carries everything from insulin pumps and diabetes testing supplies 
to the latest CGMs like the Libre 3 and the Dexcom G7. They accept Medicare nationwide, over 800 private insurers, and all you have to do to get started is call 888-721-1514 or go to my link usmed.com slash juicebox. Using that number or my link helps to support the production of the Juicebox podcast. What what insulin did you use in it when you got it originally? Was you using diluted? Yeah, so it's kind of a long story, but I, we had done a bunch of research like ourselves, and we're like, even with the like it, the, the the pump gives you like you can do 0. 0.05 units. Mm-hmm. Even with that, with the full strength insulin, it would be too much. So we we put diluted insulin in the pump right away, even though they prescribed us like they gave us U one hundred like Humalog. And I was like, we're just going to try it this way. It was working like really, really well, like so much better than the MDI. We were able to dose for, you know, like one or two carbs, even with the the diluted insulin in the pump. Is that so that like was, with U10 in the pump, you can actually give like 0. 0.005 units okay. of like full strength insulin. Is that okay? Like, is that an FDA? Oh, it's not FDA approved. Like right. the I'm not a doctor or anything, if you want to give your spiel, but like the FDA hasn't approved. Like, I think for the Omnipod, it says right on the, the side of the Omnipod, like use U100 insulin. But people use diluted in it and people use like U200 in it. And we haven't had any issues. I was like, we're just going to try it. And if it doesn't work, like we can switch to U100. And we we did try U100 pod later just because like we had to go through the whole pump training in class and stuff. And I was like, well, they're going to see we're using like way more insulin than she should because it was diluted and they wanted us to connect like her pump to gluco and all that stuff. Mm. I guess long story short, we, we had a lot of success with the U10. We were trying to be really honest with our endo team. So we like told them, Hey, this is what we're doing. It's working really well. We tried U100. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work very well. Cause we couldn't, we couldn't give small doses and like her basal rate was like the minimum 0.05 per hour. Yeah. So getting like one drip per hour, you don't you don't have a lot of room to manipulate like the basal rate. Like it's either on or off. And once it goes in, you can't you can't take it away for an hour. You don't have any kind of control when you're on such a small dose for like her insulin sensitivity. Right. So and with with the U ten in the pump, then it's like 0.5 an hour. So you you have, you know, a lot more drips per hour that you can kind of take away or add to. And we we started looping right away too. So we had we had Android APS, like an algorithm running from the beginning. Having like that, that room for the algorithm to work with is, is super helpful. Mm. It can't really do much with the U100 insulin in the pump when she's using so little insulin. So obviously so much of this when it's a baby, and if you really are endeavoring to keep reasonable blood sugars, so much of this is on you to figure out. How do you figure all this out? Research. <laughs> like uh, We joined like a couple different groups like uh, i think i found your podcast on reddit like the the day after she was diagnosed so the the podcast was really helpful for like the core concepts and then uh, i was reading about because i'm like a software engineer so i was reading about like diy looping right away i found android aps Um, i had an old android phone like laying around that i could try it with Mm -hmm. so even before we got the pump i like got the loop set up was watching like what decisions it wanted to make so i was learning from from that as well. And there's like objectives you run through in Android APS to like help you understand, make yeah. sure you understand like how the loop is working. But yeah, it's, it's mostly on, on yourself. And then when we told them we were using diluted in the pump, like 
I, I sent it like on my chart message. And the next day I got a call from her doctor and she was like, she basically called to yell at us and was like, you can't put diluted insulin in the pump. Like that's not safe. I had like all this data to prove like how much it was working. And I was talking to her and she, she said some ridiculous things. Like she was like, cause I was like, when she sleeps, like we, we can't like her blood sugar is just gonna be at 300 all night because we can't dose her for like small enough corrections. And she was, she said something like, it's fine if she runs at 300 for like eight to 10 hours, as long as it's not like longer than that. And I was like, that's not how like a pancreas works. <laughs> like that's not how her blood sugar is supposed to be. And she said something like, there's no like studies showing they'll have long-term complications for, for riding that high for a short period of time. And she's like, she's probably just honeymooning now. And she stops honeymooning, like the insulin will be fine and you'll be able to use more. Yeah. It was, it, she actually, she actually took away her, um, pump prescription because she's like, I can't prescribe you the the diluted insulin and the pump if you're going to do it that way. What was there, if there was one, what's the rationale from the doctor for just allowing the poor blood sugars? I I think it's just to cover themselves really. Yeah. I think I don't like, since it's not FDA approved, I think they just want to cover like their, their cell themselves for like liability. But she also was against us using Android APS because that wasn't uh, FDA approved. Even though, like, hold on, Adam, I don't misunderstand that she doesn't want to write. Like, it made her nervous to write you for something that you were using off label or something like that. Like, okay, but then why is why is there not like, well, let's see what else we can do to accomplish the goal? How come it's just like, no, there's a rule, so you don't get that, so just let the kid's blood sugar be three hundred. Like, you know what I mean? Like there oh, yeah. was no conversation about I don't that. understand it. Yeah. And it was like, she was like calling to yell at me. Like it wasn't like, she wasn't being like cordial or nice about it. She was like trying to scare me and saying like, you could kill your daughter kind of talk. Like it was, it was just crazy. So like, I mean, obviously we found a new endo like very quickly after that, but it, it was a big struggle. Like she was like, I don't think there's any reputable like endocrinologist that would prescribe diluted insulin in a pump. And I was like, I mean, there are, like, we've done the research, we found them. So I, I had gotten like a list together of like, you know, like the lead endocrinologist at Seattle Children's in LA. There was like a bunch of, I think I sent her a list of like eight to 10 doctors. And it was like, you know, I talked to all these parents because there's a there's a Facebook group for like young kids with diabetes. Yeah. So I had talked to, to other parents who were prescribed like diluted insulin in the pump and like asked for their information. So I was like, she's not going to let us have our pump if I don't like prove that it's, it's okay. Eventually she's like, I'm not going to be your doctor. And she, she tried to pass us off to someone else at Seattle children's. And like, after getting bounced around for a while, we eventually found the one we have now. And she's like, she's the complete op- opposite. She's like amazing. She, she's a, supports us doing Android APS. She lets us do diluted in the pump. Anytime we need something, she's like, She's like, I don't understand the loop that much, but she tries and she like gives suggestions. She's just like, is like a complete 180 compared mm. to the first doctor that she had. Yeah, I, I and you were showing her real results, right? Like real, like not just yeah. Day, I had, had all the graphs, and I was like, here's the days, like on MDI. Here's the I think we did one day on U100 or like one and a half days, and I was like, this is just not working. So we had like the data, and I. I said, like, we, we did our research. We found a bunch of people using it. There was, like, one or two research studies, like, you know, small participant sizes, because there's just not that many. There's not many kids that young that have tried using diluted in the pump. So there's a small, like, sample size. But we 
like we tried it and it was working. That's that's what we cared about. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, dude, I don't know. Like that's fascinating to me. Really? Like, look, we're having yeah. success. Like, look what we're doing. We're keeping our blood sugars here. And she goes, no, no, you can't have any of the things you're doing that with because. And then not only that, if you persist, I can't be your doctor anymore. Yeah. And she she actually took away the pump prescription. She, the pump prescription. She's like, I either have to take away your diluted insulin prescription or the pump. How old was this and I was person? Like, well, she young. She was not old. She was a, a an advanced nurse, registered nurse practitioner. So, she, um, but she was not. She was not like an old doctor. She wasn't. I would say she's probably like in her early forties, maybe. This is me talking out. I'm not you. If that person's listening, shame on you. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was bad, and it was like the way that she treated us was even worse. Like. Mm-hmm. She was not nice at all on the phone. And even like we had back and forth after that. And we had to really fight to like find a doctor. She's like, no one at Seattle Children's is going to let you do diluted insulin the pump. There's nobody here that does that. Even though it was working. And I, I would, it, it was working, right? right? Yeah, it was working. And so she, like after asking around, I guess she, like we, we convinced her to ask around like all of her colleagues and stuff. And she eventually found someone who's our doctor now who had done diluted in at her residency, diluted in something in the pump. Yeah. I think at like San Diego USC or something. So she's our doctor now and she had experience with it. So she was like, yeah, like that's totally fine. Yeah. But in the beginning she was just like playing hardball and saying like, no, you can't do this. Like it's not going to work. It's not safe. All those kind of scary thoughts. She found a doctor who's not a, Oh, well, I can't, I'm not supposed to, I yeah. can't say it. Yeah. I know what you want to say. Do you? Yeah, that's exactly it. Let me just tell you what I was going to say, Adam. We can bleep it out. I was going to say she found a doctor who's not a for you to go to. Is that what I, is that what you were thinking I was going to say? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, yeah. 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 <laughs> People are terrible. Just try a little bit. You know what I mean? And it was like, you know, it's like, like a month after our diagnosis. Like, we were already high stress, like, yeah. trying to figure everything out, doing everything ourselves. So, like, to hear from her doctor, like, you're going to kill your daughter. This isn't safe. It's like, it's hard to hear. And it's like. And opposite of the it's truth. It's a decision that, like, my wife and I have to make. Like, how can we best care for our daughter? Like, yeah. she's the number one priority here. Like, You know what it feels like? It's like, here, here's not enough information to take care of a nine-month-old with diabetes. And you go home and you're like, don't worry, we'll figure it out. Then you figure it out and go back to her and go, hey, we figured it out. And she goes, "Mm, not like that. So you you won't tell me how to do it, but you know for sure this isn't right, even though it's working? It's despicable. Really. Uh, Like, even when I sent the message, like, telling her what we're doing, I was, like, I was, like, a little hesitant. I was, like, you know, there's a a 50-50 chance they take this and they they say we have to stop. And I was like, I, but I also want to like teach that, like, this is how it's working. Like you can do this with other kids. And like, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to be helpful. So I was honest about it and then it kind of backfired, but in the end it, it worked out. It was just, I guess all I can say is like, if you have a young kid with diabetes, you really have to like advocate and fight for them and like try, try whatever is working. Cause it's not okay. If you're, if your kid's blood sugar is running, like 250, 300 all day or, or the opposite. Like we would treat her and she would go low. And it's like, it's hard to get a a young kid to, to have sugar at that age. Like they don't drink juice. You can't give them like a, a gummy bear or something. Like, I think we were using like frosting and like rubbing it on our gums at some point. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's hard to do when you have a baby and you're like, here's some frosting and shoving it in their mouth. Like it's also upsetting for her and for you. And nobody cares about your your mental health 
like you know that, that you're yeah. that you're by yourself in a dark room at three o'clock in the morning rubbing frosting on your kids gums like you know like i don't know like be open-minded like if you're a physician and you're listening to this like if someone comes to you and they're like this is working you don't go no it's not and then yeah th- because this is how i do it and by the way the way i told you to do it was to leave your baby's blood sugar over 300 for 10 hours like unreal yeah, it was and we had told her like we were like we were waking up like three times a night at least with alarms, like then waking her up, giving an injection, a correction. Like it was every night we either my wife or I would wake up and she would wake up and then not go back to sleep for like a half an hour. Like mm-hmm. it's hard on, on the parents getting yeah. like very bad interrupted sleep and also the baby. Like, right. It was just not a good time until we, and then we got the pump and it was like, wow, this is way better. Like we could sleep through the night. Um, the mm-hmm. algorithm, like, can dose much smaller with the diluted insulin. Like it was, it was like a night and day difference. And even with that, like talking to like how much nicer it was for us and her, they're like, no, that doesn't, you can't do that. And I was like, yeah, I can't keep talking about this. I'm just going to keep getting upset. Him. So we're going to have to move on because okay. I'll, I'll go on. Okay, I'm gonna, go I have a whole other river of thoughts that are flowing through my head right now that I just will take us in a weird way. So um, do better is my message. Uh, let's see. I want to hear more about, setting up Android APS for a baby. Like how old was she when you started it? Uh, 10 months. Cause we got, we got the pump a month and a half after Like for the first pod we were using Android APS and uh-huh. it was wow. Like it took a little convincing for me to my wife to be like, this is what we should try. But once we started it, like, you know, there's no going back once you have a loop. Mm. Yeah. No, the algorithms are terrific. But you have to, it's kind of like, sounds like the iOS app. Like you have to, to download the code and build the app and um, get it set up. The Android APS has like these things they call the objectives, mm-hmm. which is like a set of questions that you have to answer, like multiple choice questions that they kind of show that you, you prove you understand how the, the algorithm works. Like you understand what the correction factor is, what the carb ratio is, and all that stuff. Yeah. It's, like it's temp basal rate increase, like it's, all that stuff. Yeah, it's like the Android APS version of me saying nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered. It's it's them going, yeah, yeah. I got you. It's a good idea. And there's like there's a great community too. Like there's Discord servers with people. There's a Facebook group. There's so there's a lot of resources if you need help and like need help setting it up. There yeah. there's not a I haven't found a lot of parents with kids as young as ours. So I was kind of treading <laughs> water a little bit in the beginning, but I found other, you know, kids that were two or three and using Android APS, but I didn't find anyone using diluted insulin, but like conceptually it made so much sense. Like, especially when you understand how the algorithm algorithm works, like if you can manipulate the basal rate, like you need more than one drip per hour so you can turn it off and turn it on like Mm. multiple times within that one hour. Yeah. No, man, that's, it's very cool. You figure that and good for you for fighting through, uh, the blockade and sticking up for your daughter and everything. And how is she doing now? She's, she's doing really good. So I think her last day when she was uh, 5.7. So that was at the one year checkup. Yeah. So she went from like eight at diagnosis. She went up a little bit and then um, I think it was six at nine months and now it's 5.7 after a year. Oh, that's cool. One of the things that really helped and she's like not on a restricted diet at all. She's, she loves like carb heavy stuff. Like, she'll have like 40 carbs of oatmeal for breakfast or like of yogurt. She has like cereal and stuff too. So it, it's not, it's not because we're like low carb that we hit these numbers. It's mostly due to the loop, um, the help of like, you know, we're, we're definitely like the 
super like knob turners too. Like we, we've spent a lot of time like optimizing her settings and stuff. Right. Um, but the other thing that's been super helpful is we actually started using LoomJev in oh, March yeah. of this year, maybe two months before her like one year checkup. And that, that insulin is like, when we first tried it, it was like magic. Like, mm-hmm. like we tried, we, we read about, you know, some people have the burning or stinging with Fiospor LoomJev. So we started, we just use it as like MDI for like a meal dose um, and still had like the, the diluted hemolog in her pump. Uh, we did that for like a week just to make sure there wasn't like, you know, she wasn't complaining about pain or there wasn't any reactions on like the injection sites. And then I was like, we got to put this in the pump. Like it works, it works so good. Like it hits, the insulin hits way harder, faster, and it also has a shorter tail. So like you're not fighting with like having insulin on board and then she gets up and runs around or jumps on a trampoline or whatever. Right. So it's like in and out much faster. Yeah. But I guess that's, that's a whole other story of how we, we're using LoomJev in the pump so that it's U100 LoomJev. They don't prescribe like diluted LoomJev and our diluted is Humalog. So LoomJev is basically just Humalog with the like vasodilator additive. In yep. It. Yep. So I've read people mixing like 50, 50 LoomJev and Humalog before just to kind of lessen that stinging sensation in the pod. Mm-hmm. So after reading that and doing some research, I decided to mix the U100 LoomJev with the U10 Humalog. So I, I kind of make our own like U30 mix with with those two insulins and I mix it right in the pod. So I, I take like a certain amount of the diluted insulin, put it in the pod, and then I use like a, a manual syringe, not the Omnipod syringe, and I put some U100 LoomJev in there and then I kind of swirl around and activate the pod. Um, <laughs> your- so the, we have like a, a U30 diluted mix now with LoomJev and Hewalog. And that once we started that, it's like, so much better control. Like, wow. look at you. I, I you're don't like know how a, to explain. You're, you're like a chemist now. <laughs> yeah, it feels like every time we fill the pot, I'm like, okay, this is. You feel like a scientist. Like you're, you're drawing from two vials and putting it together and swirling it around. And this is like another thing that, if we told that to our first her first doctor, she would probably just like no, she have a stroke. Like, yeah, yeah, she'd fall right over. <laughs> she'd be like, ah. yeah. But but our new doctor was like, oh wow, you're doing that and it's working. Okay, cool. Like mm. keep going. Like, so yeah, it was definitely an experiment and you know, we're always like, we'll try it. If it doesn't work, like we'll, we'll know right away and we can switch, but that's been working super, super well. And I can't like, I can't recommend enough to like people with young kids, like under three or four, when you're using like less than 10 units a day of insulin, like diluted is so much more helpful, even if you're not using an algorithm. Like if you're using the minimum basal rate in the pod of 0.05, like you can't get that even coverage with that. Like one drip per hour, like the insulin isn't that smooth. So like you'll get a peak like 15 or you know 30 minutes into the hour and then it will drop off, but it will hang on. You can't. Yeah. It's too, too small of an amount. I can't explain to, enough. On, it's too small of an amount to have a smooth effect over hours and hours. Yeah. yeah. And, and even her, her base rate was, was lower than 0.05. So we'd have like one hour off, one hour on if wow. we weren't using diluted. Wow. So like you have, you'll have like these natural waves and you can't, you can't get good control with that. Yeah. Just like every time I try to help, you know, people online or whatever, I always, I always recommend trying diluted in the pump. Mm-hmm. I think it's a hard thing for most parents to do without like doctor approval. Yeah. I don't think everyone is like, you know, as confident as we were. But it's like, if you try it, 
like it doesn't really hurt to try it. And like, I'm not a doctor or anything, but that was our experience. And it's like, it's, it's night and day difference. It's so much better. I think it's impressive that you figured all this out. I didn't figure any of this out when Arden was this little, you know, Arden was two. And I yeah, I remember your story of like yeah. trying to eyeball drops of insulin and figure out how much it yeah. was, but that's as close. Yeah, that's as close as chemist as I came to back then. Was like I, I started deciding, like I, I used to inject uh, drops out into the air with pressure, so that like with my eyes closed, like just thinking like this much pressure makes a drop come out, so that I could like put the needle under her skin and then just try to make a drop of insulin come out. And you know, yeah. because, I can see why because she was what like two when she was diagnosed, right? Yeah, Arden was two, but she was eighteen pounds when she was diagnosed. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. See, so my daughter just turned two yesterday. So oh. she's like, I think around twenty-eight pounds, almost thirty pounds, maybe. Yeah. And she's still still needs the diluted insulin. Like, yeah, we could probably use you at hundred now, but we wouldn't have the same kind of control. Mm-hmm. Do does uh, do you think she's having a honeymoon? No, I don't. No. I don't think so. There was like there was like a one day period, like maybe two months in, where she like didn't need very much insulin that day. Like she just had her basal going and her basal was turned off for like four or five hours. And I was like, is this a honeymoon? But she was also not eating that much, you know, at that age. So right. um, maybe I the- think it might've just been that, but like she's almost one and a half years in now. And there was no sign of like, they, they kept describing it. Like the, the endo team was like, Oh, there's just going to be like a big step up where like one day she needs like twice as much insulin. And that never happened. Like it's been a slow ramp up, but mostly because she started eating more. Like she went from like 10 to 15 carbs a day back then, mm-hmm. maybe 20 with the breast milk to now she goes anywhere from like 80 to like 150 carbs a day. Wow. Like she, she eats a lot and she, she goes, she, she goes in phases. So there's days where she just has like, you know, 75 or 80 carbs or she's sick. like right now she's sick and she's not eating that much, but she's still eating like 80 carbs a day. 80, 90, or 100. Man, that's a, that's a fair amount. But we look at, like, the stats all the time, and we can see, you can see when she goes through, like, a growth spurt or something, and there's, like, one week where she eats, like, a lot more than the last week, or she needs much more insulin. It's crazy how much, like, the, the total daily insulin fluctuates. Like, she'll go from, like, 20 units a day to 40 units a day equivalent. So that's our diluted insulin. But yeah. if you convert it back to U100, she's, a, she's using about 10 units a day right now, maybe a little bit less of standard insulin. The fluctuation, it's just based on how she eats that day. It's the primary driver. Cause like her carb ratio is like, it's like one to 20. I think if you convert it back one to 16, maybe. So like most of her insulin is, is for meals and you know, kids, they, they eat like every three hours during the day, like yeah. wakes up half breakfast, like three hours later, there's lunch three hours later, there's a snack three hours later there's dinner and then it's bedtime. Like that's the other hard thing about a kid. There's no, like there's no breaks between meals. There's always like some carbs on board and you always have insulin on board. Mm-hmm. Like they just, they just eat a lot. And they're not, growing. they're not an adult. They and, don't sometimes roll into the afternoon and go, I might just have a soup for dinner tonight. <laughs> yeah. You can't do yeah. like intermittent fasting or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. How, um, do you think you and your wife are kind of equally involved in the management or does it fall one side or the other? I think we're, we're pretty equal. I definitely do the the technical side, like building Android APS, setting up loop, 
Um, but she, she definitely understands everything. Like she, she does just as much research and stuff. And she, like, I went to Wisconsin last week and she had Brent at home and she did all the management when I was gone. Like we, we could each just have her and do it our, on our own. And it kind we, of, we it of turns course, out like, the same way talk back and forth. And what's that? Are, are the results the same? No matter which one of you are like the primary. Um, they're pretty close. We yeah. actually, we kind of work as like a checks and balances on each other. Like there's some days where I'm like, I think she needs more insulin right now. And she's like, ah, maybe not. So like we kind of split the difference a lot and it usually ends up working pretty well. Cool. Well, that's excellent. But there's, there's so many variables with someone like even in anybody who's diabetic, but especially someone who's her age. Cause she, she'll like go and jump around or run really fast and, and all of a sudden like need way less insulin or she'll decide to you know, sit down and not be that active one day. Mm-hmm. Or if she's sick, like she's been on 125% profile for like the last week because she's sick and just like more insulin resistant. And she's also not eating as much. So like there's so many, so many different things you have to think of and account for. But I, I would say it doesn't really matter who's driving the insulin or her, like my wife or I were both ab- about the same Okay, in terms of management. I might lean towards the more aggressive side and she might be more conservative sometimes but i think there's other times where where i'm like i don't think she needs that much or something so we mm-hmm. kind of flip back and forth no, that's perfect is it have is it um what's the strain like on your marriage or your rest that kind of stuff in the beginning it was definitely hard like the first few months and like a lot of the the stress is just from like the lack of sleep honestly like waking up all the time you know seeing your your kids blood sugar so high and knowing it's not good but not really being able to fix it. And then like all the other stress of like dealing with her endo team and like us doing, you know, really custom stuff. Mm. Like there's, I think I was definitely for, you know, let's do all this stuff and try it and see if it works. And she was more of like, maybe we should listen to the doctor or maybe we should talk to them before making changes of insulin in the beginning. And so like there was a little bit of battle there, but there's, yeah, it's definitely stressful. Like it's, it's hard. It just takes a lot out of you. I, I think it's we're in a much better spot now. Good. And also we, we decided to have a, a third kid. And I think that was that was definitely delayed because of Brynn's diagnosis. Like, you know, you're always thinking about, you know, what if you have another kid and they have diabetes and how much works that that's gonna be and trying to juggle juggle that when you're like still trying to figure out the first the first kids, yeah. like how do you manage this disease and stuff. But yeah, it was it's I a think big we're decision. Okay now. We're yeah, much better now. Good for you. Well, it's a, and that's a big decision to make another baby after you've now lived through what this is. You, you know, because if yeah. it happens again, it, it's a lot. And you know it now you know I it's think a lot. We got to like a point where we were confident and like, okay, we can handle this. And you know, we didn't want to let diabetes like change our plan. Like we have always planned to have three kids and stuff. So on like one side, it's like you don't want to have something change your plans, but on the other side, it's like you have to be realistic about you know, what the future might be. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so is your wife pregnant? Are you trying or what's going on? Yeah, yeah. In in August, actually, we are expecting baby number three. Oh, oh, just a couple months. So a couple months, yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Congratulations. That was another thing I, I wanted to mention is the, the celiac disease. So um, after, like, finding out I was celiac and cutting out gluten, I had done some research because for our second kid, we had, like, a really hard time um, getting pregnant. It it took like nine months or so. And, um, you know, she tried all the things like usually 
you kind of just assume it's you don't necessarily assume it's like unfair, but a lot of times it falls on the the wife, like the, the female, to figure out you know what what's wrong, like infertility wise. Mm-hmm. But when I cut out gluten, like this baby was like just right away one try, like so. Like I learned about the the infert- infertility was celiac in men and women. So if like other people are struggling trying to get pregnant, and you have like you're celiac or maybe you don't even know you're celiac. Maybe you could test for that. Like that's just one other thing to try. Right. Cause it's really hard when you're trying to have a baby and you can't like, it's, it's really stressful, like emotionally. And, but yeah, that, that was like, I never thought of, of that until after kind of retrospectively. Well, let me say, first of all, that's wonderful and terrible. I'm sorry that she got pregnant so quickly and took away all the fun parts and i um, happy for you that it was easy to get pregnant. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, And and good advice, by the way, to, to share with people. Although you've been married for a while, I don't know how much of that fun you needed. Well, you've been on a, quite a little journey in, quite a, in a short amount of time. Yeah, it's been a lot, but, you know, we learned a lot. How old are um, you? And we're still learning. Yeah. I'm 33. Okay, you guys waited a little while to have kids, too, right? You were, like, 27 when maybe you were having your son? Yeah. Yeah, 27 sounds right. Yeah, that's... that's uh. Yeah. Listen, do you think you would have... If you were younger, would you have figured this out? Not as fast, for Not sure. Fast, like, yeah. I wouldn't have had as much free time as I do now to, to do the research and figure it out. I guess you, maybe you make time at that age, but yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. I've always been super technical and into computers and, like, comfortable doing research and stuff. So I, I probably would have figured it out. It just might have taken longer. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm a computer user not a computer understander. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was like a programmer, so I wrote, right. wrote code and stuff. So I'm really familiar with all that. That's cool. Yeah. That comfort level is is super helpful when you're digging into loop and stuff like that. Like just whether you understand it or not when on day one when you start learning about it, at least the terminology and the things you're seeing in front of you seem like familiar. You, you know, I can, I can see why it would yeah. be easier for you and off-putting for other people um yeah like because of experience i was able to set up like a lot of things that that work better for us like we can like she has her own phone that we kind of keep nearby mm -hmm. but we set up like a remote desktop app so you can we can control her phone remotely wherever she is so like when she's sleeping in her room at night we don't have to go in there and grab her phone to, to dose her. We just use our phones and remotely connect to her phone. Mm -hmm. And then we can interact with it, like as if we were touching it. So that's like super helpful. And I've helped a few like other parents set that up. So like it, it also works with like Omnipod 5 or something. Like if you have an Android phone as your controller, you can talk to that phone and, and control it. Even if you're not using Loop, like you can communicate like an iOS to an Android phone remotely like that and, and take full control. So that's like kind of like a hack on how to get remote bolusing working yeah before it's like officially supported by like tandem or omnipod so we've been using that and, and there's other things like i had to write some code to set up like a, a like a fitness watch so i can get her blood sugars on there um and there's like a great great community for all this stuff so you don't really have to do that much work you just kind of tweak little things mm. to make them work the remote desktop is brilliant i never i don't i never even considered that because that's something that yeah it's yeah, anybody can do with their computers and their phones is run one device from another device as long as that remote desktop app and the client is one to the other, right? You don't yeah, even... and, and iOS has has something similar, but I don't I don't know if you can do fully unattended access. So 
Hmm. There's there's some hacks you have to do to make it so like the other person on the the other side doesn't have to click like okay you can touch my screen right. So there's a way on Android to do it where it's like fully unattended access. So you don't have to, the other person, like her phone doesn't have to acknowledge that we're connecting. We can just connect and do whatever we want and disconnect. Yeah, that's terrific. That's so smart. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Is that your idea or do you see somebody online doing it? I don't know for sure. I, I have, I think it was my idea because I have done that before. Like I had used a lot of different remote desktop clients to, to control devices before. Hmm. Uh, so I had some experience with it. I, I don't remember reading about it, but I definitely uh, helped other people set it up. That's something. Oh man, that's I mean, that's one of the more brilliant things I've heard in a while, honestly. Yeah, I mean, Android APS has like they call them SMS commands, so you can kind of do the same thing, but it's like you have to text like bolus one point five, and then it will like text you back, and you have to like put in a password or a confirmation code. But it was like really clunky, and you can't like. You can't see all the insulin on board. You can see like the treatments and stuff, but it was just like, and then we needed to have a text plan on our phone. Right now we don't need a text plan. We just we'd connect her phone to Wi-Fi wherever she is. And then we have full access and we can, we can actually see what we would see if we were holding her phone, which is way nicer than trying to like. Oh no. Some, yeah. It sounds text am- command interface. That's amazing. It sounds amazing. It, it really yeah. does. Like, I mean, and so valuable just not to get out of bed. You know, because that's all you're going to yeah. do is get out of bed, walk into the room, pick up the phone, do the thing. And if you can just see, oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know. that, that You're going to have a bunch of people asking you about that because that's a great idea. Yeah, there's like, it's not too hard to set up. There's like some hack you have to do to make it fully unattended so you don't have to like click OK on the other side. But that's about it. Like, it, it's not too hard to figure out if you search on online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it, is it stable? Um, is it a thing that stops working periodically or has it been fairly stable for you? It's been really stable, but I, I'm always Wi-Fi to Wi-Fi. So, or like my phone might be on mobile data, but hers is always on Wi-Fi. I think if you if you have like, you know, a kid at school and they're playing recess and, and you, she's uh, they're on like a mobile network, it might be a little slower, like swiping because you, you're kind of just like remotely viewing the screen and and doing touch interactions on it. So sometimes if you connect, it'll be like a little slow. Like you'll swipe and the screen will be like a half second behind. But it's pretty it's pretty one to one most times. Yeah, but I could see it maybe being a little slower if it was a bad network connection. Yeah, like that's maybe one advantage you would get with just SMS because you don't really need a data a strong data connection. And I found my question: Do you have to be on the same network to use it? No, no, okay. not at all. So, like, I when I was in I was in Wisconsin last week, so I could control her phone remotely to give insulin or do anything really. Uh, but you don't have to be on the same network at all. That's awesome. No. All right. Well, that's the best thing I've heard in a while. Thank you. Uh, is there yeah, any- and all the remote desktop clients, like you, you don't need to pay for them. Like they're the free versions are sufficient enough for what, what we use it for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you're not paying like a, a fee every month or something for it. Oh yeah. Not at all. How long do you think? Well, I mean, she's so young. You've got years of this coming up. Honestly, do you think this whole like remote thing will help you when she goes off to school? Definitely, yeah. I think I think that's where it really becomes useful. Now it's mostly like she's napping or she's sleeping at night. It saves us time. Because, like, we're always with, like, either my wife or I, like, one of us are always with her. So it, it's never like, you know, we don't have, like, someone here that we can trust her with yet. Like, we haven't left her with, like, a babysitter. Or we don't have, like, I have two brothers here with us, but they're not, 
They're not like the kind that would babysit like kids overnight or anything. <laughs> They're um, not the kind of brothers that so, would babysit kids overnight. <laughs> what kind? What kind of like brothers? They could watch are the they? dogs or whatever. Oh, okay. but, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, they they can watch for maybe an hour or two, but <laughs> then they lose their interest. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you know, maybe we're a little bit more protective with our kids than some parents, but you know, it's it's hard to to leave them with, especially like a diabetic child with any caregiver yeah and it's like a two-year-old too like or she just turned two but yeah i think when she does go to school having that control will be super super helpful mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. well good for you um so we're not maligning your brothers is that right no no, no. They don't they're, get... they're just you know like single bachelors that's you know, what i was getting at they don't have their own kids yeah right no one of them has a dog and, you know even that's like you're a fr- lot of work you're, fr- you're so. afraid for the dog <laughs> yeah <laughs> For sure. It's no way that dog's eaten every day. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Yeah. I get that. I mean, I understand being um, protective as well. And I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. She's still very little. There's, you know, a lot. Like you said, she could get up and run around a little bit and change her whole situation. And then yeah, and even like with all the experience we have, there's still days where like she goes into a double down at like 100 or 80. And it's like okay, that, that didn't hit or she'll start eating and then just decide she wants to run around and play instead. Like you're not dealing with an adult. Like it's, there's so many different factors you have to think about yeah. and it's hard to, it's hard to explain all these steps to somebody. on like how to care for your child. Right. And we're like starting to, we, we have to figure that out for like in August when the next baby's coming. So like, we're going to have to leave her with some family. So like trying to think about like, how do you write like a, like a guide on how to care for your daughter. There's like just way too much information in there. Like, and like not even talking about like sensor changes and pod changes every three days. There's just like so many factors that you have to do it and teach them how to use like just the controller to enter insulin. Like, so not having somebody kind of like on and off, like family nearby to help is kind of hard. Um, I would imagine also that you don't exactly know what to do every time. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, every meal is like, you know, we don't, we don't like weigh out her food and, and measure it. Like you kind of just learn like, you know, this pile of food is like maybe, you know, 15 or 20 carbs, but you don't know how much she's going to eat and it's different every time. And that's like another thing with having a kid so little, I think in the beginning they told us to dose her after she eats, but she would sit down and like, you know, they play with her food. They take like an, almost an hour to eat. Yeah. And if you wait until after that, like her blood sugar is already 300 by the time you get insulin mm-hmm. and it messes like all your carb ratios up and stuff. Cause you're not, you're not timing it right. So even, even at a, like before we went to the pump, we were doing like a, a pre-injection, a pre-bolus before, but it was just so hard cause we could give like the smallest dose you could with a syringe. Right. And sometimes she wouldn't eat enough food. And then you would a lot of times have to dose after she gets out. Cause you don't, we never wanted to like inject her while she's in her high chair. Like, it just feels kind of wrong to, to like interrupt her eating that way. So that's like another reason why the pump is so helpful. And then how she's do you been really good with yeah. the injections? And when all of these variables are possible, how do you explain that to somebody for a babysitting situation? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think you're being overprotective. I think you're being pretty realistic about the situation. Yeah. I was still definitely worried about what's going to happen, but sure. yeah, I think we'll do as best as we can to prepare whoever's here and, and try to figure it out. Have you ever had to do anything emergency for low blood sugar? Have you always been able to bring it up somehow? 
No. Uh, yeah, we've always been able to bring it up. Okay. I think with the Dexcom and like our alerts and I use something called Xtrip on Android. So we both my wife and I have alerts on our phones. We have like watches set up so we can see our blood sugar on there. But yeah, we have our alarm set, I think at like 90 or 80 during the day, maybe 90 at night. So we can wake up and treat it a little bit in case it like for some reason starts diving. And that's like 140 during the day. But yeah, with the with the alarms, it's it almost never happens. There's been like a couple times where she dips into like like fifties, and it's like okay, like she already ate, but it's not hitting yet. Mm. Uh, and sometimes you have like compression lows at night where the sensor like all of a sudden drops straight down, so you wake up and you're like, okay, is this real? Like roll her over. Yeah. But yeah, we've never had to use anything other than she really likes fruit snacks right now, so that's her her like choice of treat right now for which she's going low, but. It it doesn't happen too often. Maybe like once, once a week or every other week. Uh, and some, you know, you'll have bad weeks where you need fruit snacks a couple nights in that week or whatever. But yeah, what we always know she'll have a fruit snack. She'll never like say no to that. What? So that's the go to right now. And of course, her brother always wants a fruit snack when she gets a fruit snack. So that's always fun. <laughs> What's her level of understanding about her life? Do you think? I would say she's. She understands it pretty well. She actually um, does her own finger pokes or blood sugar checks or whatever you want to call it. Like she's she's in a phase right now. Where she wants to do everything herself. Mm-hmm. And her one year checkup, like you know, you have to give like a finger prick to do your A one C check. So the like the nurse whoever was in there was like really surprised that Bryn like we gave her like the meter case. She unzipped it. She took out the meter. She needs help like opening the strips container, but she'll take the strip and put it in and give herself like a finger poke on her finger. And the nurse, like they were like, that's so crazy. Like she was like one and a half years old or whatever, one year or nine yeah. months old. Oh. But yeah, it, it kind of is frustrating sometimes. Cause like if, if you need to check her fast, like she's dropping or something or the sensor's wonky on the first day, um, she like insists on doing it all of, all by herself. And sometimes she'll take her time. So it's, it can be like, you know, a little frustrating. You're like, come on, let's do it already. Let's go like pick a finger. And she does her toes a lot too. Um, when she was really little, we just did like pricks on the toes because the fingers are so tiny. Yeah. But I think she, she understands, she knows like which one her, her CGM is. She calls it Dexcom and she can like point to it. She knows which one her pod is. She like wants to rip off. Like when it's time to change, she'll rip off the pod. She can't really reach the Dexcom. It's on the back of, we use like upper butt for Dexcom, but mm-hmm. we do pods on like her stomach or her arms or her thighs. She's, so she's like, she's, she's really she's good about it. it. Yeah, she's she, really good at it. I don't know if she, she doesn't really understand what it's like not to have diabetes because she's, she's had it forever in her life. Right. But I would say she's, she's for the most part comfortable with doing all this stuff. She really, she's like more recently, she's been not liking the injection. Like when the, the pod clicks in, she's been like, you know, trying to avoid that that mm-hmm. part but she lets us stick it on and sometimes she'll want to put it on herself but with the adhesive like it always gets messed up if you don't you know put it on there nice and flat so um that's like frustrating for her i think that she needs help that's to help her what about her brother but what, there's like a what what's her brother's uh like understanding of what's happening i mean we try to we try to talk to him and explain to him all the time like i i think it's hard for a sibling like that. Cause like every meal we're like, my wife and I are talking like, Oh, how many carbs, how much insulin, you know, did, like, what did she eat? Like if we weren't watching, one of us has to ask like, how much did she actually eat? Mm-hmm. So he hears it like all the time. And I think 
at first it was it was like clearly really hard for him like like attention wise he was having to give up all that attention to her and you could tell like you could tell it was hard on him like it's it's definitely hard on the sibling as well but he he understands like a low blood sugar means she needs a fruit stack or she needs some kind of you know sugar and he knows that like a high blood sugar you need insulin right he wouldn't know like obviously like how much or whatever but he's always excited when we check her blood sugar because he usually knows that means she might need a fruit stack so he's like <laughs> he knows how to read the like he can read numbers already so he he'll read like the number and he knows like if it's a certain number that she needs a fruit snack or whatever but he, he also doesn't know like how much insulin is on board and that stuff so sometimes he'll see it's like 80 and he's like oh fruit snack and we're like no like she's good she has like no insulin on board or whatever he's uh, like damn, he, damn. he understands some of it <laughs> um we try to talk about it to him because like we want him to be able to to help her like when they're both in school and stuff so i think he understands it pretty well like at a high level does he feel any responsibility for her do you think or no he definitely has his moments where he'll like go and run and get a pack of fruit snacks or something like he'll help or he'll run and get like the meter or like you need a Kleenex or a tissue to stop the bleeding and he, he'll help out with stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he fully understands like, you know, how to care for her. like yeah. that he should help care for her, but you could tell he, he has like that in his heart. Like he wants her to, to not be heard and he can see like if she's struggling with an injection or something like he'll, He'll go and like rub her back or like hold her hand. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's really sweet how he tries to help out. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Um, wow. That's really terrific. Do you have any advice for people who have little kids with diabetes? Like anything that really sticks out in your head that wouldn't be something that the rest of us would even know? I think I, I probably covered, covered most it all. It. I, I would say like getting the pump as soon as you can. Definitely like a CGM, like that's number one, but a pump, is, is so important because like if you think about how many times the pot is giving insulin in a day like you don't want to have to do that many injections for a young kid we she's always had the omnipod so i don't really i can't speak to like tubeless versus not um but the tubeless pump is amazing like even on her tiny body it doesn't seem like that big and clunky like her shirt can go over it and stuff uh but yeah get a pump and get a cgm and i i can't recommend diluted insulin enough i know that's kind of like a it's going to be a little bit harder for some parents to do and a lot of places won't give you diluted insulin. Like our, our hospital will like none of the pharmacies around here will actually dilute it. They, they insist on doing it like in the inpatient um, pharmacy in the hospital. So they mix it. It's kind of funny because they mix it in like a, a chamber where it's like very safe and not going to get contaminated. And then we at home just like go and mix it ourselves, like on the table. <laughs> but like after doing research, a lot of, a lot of hospitals just give you like the hemolog and give you the diluent mm -hmm. and they tell you to dilute at home. So it's yeah. just, it's just different what advice you get depending on, you know, what part of the country you're from or wherever you're from. Right. What so a lot of people are comfortable diluting at home. And sometimes like they say, Oh, you can only get it from this hospital. And it kind of sucks if you're like a 45 minute drive away. Sure. Do you think, how long do you think she'll use diluted insulin? I, I would say like a few years at least like, just because of the additional control you get. Like a lot of times you'll hear endocrinologists won't give you a pump until you're using like, you know, a certain amount, like 10 units a day or 15 units a day uh, or Omnipod 5. I, I don't know what number they suggest, but it, it's mostly because if you're under a certain amount, like the algorithm's not going to be that efficient. Like it can't take away and add basal very much if you're already on the minimum basal or close to it. 
So now she's on, she's on about 10 units a day. Even if she was on like 30 units a day or something, I feel like using some form of diluted is always going to help. I think we'll probably slowly ramp up. Like right now we're around a U30, like 30% strength. I think we'll probably settle on like a, a U50. It seems like that's what, the, for the kids that do diluted, mm-hmm. they usually end up on like U20 to U50 until like five or six years old even. Wow. Um, so when... I, I just feel like we should go over this once because we talked about it so much. You're diluting the insulin. What do they dilute it with? So we obviously had Humalog and Lumgev, so I can speak to that. I think Fiasp has their own dilutant. Mm-hmm. But basically, there's a diluent that like Lily has for the Humalog insulin. It's like some probably saline mixture. I, I don't know, actually know what it is, but um, they call it like Humalog diluent. So you can actually, for the people that dilute at home, they get a prescription for that diluent and a prescription for the Humalog and they mix it themselves. Mm-hmm. So they're they're basically just watering down the insulin to a certain ratio so that it's like 10% strength. Or a lot of people do like 25, U25, uh, that would be 25% strength. But for us, for the to create our mixture, like you have to do some math because I, I don't have diluent and like we've asked for the prescription, but our, our endo is like on uh, maternity leave for a while. So... We haven't gotten the diluent, so we're just kind of using what we have right now. Right. So I use a U10 mixture, which is basically like, you know, that that diluted insulin from the U100 Humalog and the diluent, and then I mix that with the U1 U100 Lumjev to make like a U30. So I did some math to figure out like U100 is basically like how much insulin per milliliter. So I think U100 is like a hundred units of insulin per like ten milliliters or something like that. So if you know like the the math behind like what those ratios represent you can calculate if you want like a u20 or a u30 you need this much of your diluted insulin and this much of your u100 insulin and you can you can figure it out if you so i mean you might need to be a little more like math savvy to do it but it's not super complicated so when you do like uh, let's pick one uh u100 okay so does that mean if I use a unit of real insulin, I'm getting a unit of insulin. But if I use a unit of diluted yeah. insulin that's diluted to U100, then every unit of liquid I push is has the tenth of the power of a unit of undiluted insulin. Exactly. That so is right. when we were on U10, like one unit of U10 is like 0.1 units of U100. Mm-hmm. So you just, U10 is like the easiest diluted because you can just move the decimal over one, right? Because it's just 10%. Yeah. So like five units of U10 insulin would be like 0.5, like a half unit of U100. And the value there is that the pump can do full units pretty well of liquid, but it ha- it, it would have trouble more trouble doing a, a tenth or a hundredth of, or, you know, if you needed less and less. Yeah. Less. So the pump can only do, like, I think, at least I know Omnipod, I think there's some that support like a smaller drop, but the smallest drop Omnipod can do is 0.05. Mm-hmm. So that's 0.05 units of like, if you're using a full strength insulin, but if you put 10% strength insulin in the pod, then 0.05 is actually 0.5 units, or it's actually 0.005 units of insulin. Hmm. I've heard people have these conversations so many times and it confuses them every time. <laughs> It's, it's it's hilarious, actually. I, yeah, I mean, I, I can I see why because yeah, you're dealing with something like very important. Like even insulin's one of those drugs. Like at the hospital, like anytime they they're gonna administer it, they need like 
a second person to look at it and sign off, right? Like it's a very important drug. So like, you don't want to mess up the calculation. And like, when I did it, I was like, I checked my math like a few times and I'm like, okay, is this right? Like double, triple check. Well, yeah. What was that like yeah, the it, first time? Were you just like, I hope, I hope I have this or you just did it until you were like, I can't be wrong about this. I've checked it. So well, she times. was at like a point where with the U10, she had gotten to um, the point where she was using like 200 units of U10 and she was like running out of the pod because you can only fit 200 units in the Omnipod. Mm-hmm. So she was having to change pods more often. Like every, instead of three days, they were like, we were running out of insulin after two days. So that's when I was like, okay, U10 is, is too much dilution. We need to change it. And that's around the time where I wanted to try the, the Lumjev. So I had like calculated how much, you know, insulin do we need in the pod for like not, not to run out and to have a sufficient amount, never to have to worry about running out. So I came to like a U25 or U30. The, the reason I went to U30 is because just based on the lines on the Omnipod syringe. So they have like a min line on there, which I think is 80 units, if I remember right. So I fill like 80 units of the diluted insulin using the Omnipod syringe. I put that into the Omnipod. And then I take just like a, a normal syringe that you'd use for a manual injection and take 25 units of Lumjev hmm. and put that into the pod. And then I swirl it around. And if you do the math, that's like, so you have 25 U100 units of Lumjev and if you have 80 units of U10, that's really eight units of like full strength insulin. So you have like 33 units of full strength insulin equivalent. And then you divide, you know, like how much insulin you put in total. So it's 80 plus 25 units. So you have 105 units of insulin. So if you take 33 divided by 105, that gives you like the, the strength of your insulin. Basically. Holy hell. So yeah. You just fry it comes up to like. 31.4 or something. So it's U31.4 if you want to be like really technical about it. Yeah. Okay. You fried my mind. <laughs> Go ask your doctor. Well, maybe some other people can understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh my God. I'm trying to simplify it. No, I know. It's just, it's, I don't, in the end, I don't think it's that. I think if I was doing it in front of me, it would, it would have the feeling of like, if I had two beakers in my hand and one of them had like blue liquid and one of them had yellow liquid. And I'd be like, look, we're going to put a percentage of this into this, and it, this is the mix. And I'd go, Oh, that makes sense. Like visually I would get it. Um, just yeah, he, you he, feel like a mad yeah. scientist for a little while, oh, but after a few pods, it's like, you do it enough every three days where it like, you don't even think about it. Like my wife or I can fill a pod and either of us have to like, look up, mm-hmm. you know, how much we're doing. It's just, you just kind of figure it out. And if you do it enough, it's just, it's just like filling the pod by normal now. Right. I wonder what will happen when she stops using it. Like it'll, if it'll be difficult for you to talk about the units correctly at first. I guess it won't matter, yeah, right? Because you don't think it about is, that it way. It is a little hard now, but when we, when we have her checkups, so she goes every three months. And every time I have to like sit down and convert to the U100 units because our endo is like, if you tell me it in like U10 or U30, like I'll just be really confused. So just we convert everything to U100, like her carb ratio or sensitivity factor and everything. To explain it. Um, so we talk about it in full units to to her, and I think this 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 diluted stuff would also be really hard if you have other caregivers to try to explain to them mm-hmm. because the the part that's tricky is if the pod fails, we usually use Lumjev now because we have it, but we can't just use the same units, right? Like one unit of Lumjev is like way more than one unit if we plug it into our controller. That's like three units of the diluted or whatever. Yeah. Wow. So good for as you. long as you're aware of all the ratios and stuff, it's not too bad. But if, yeah, if you have like someone else taking care of your kid during the day, like a school nurse or something, 
it would probably be really confusing for them. Fry their mind. Yeah, because your kid will sound like they're using just a an odd amount of insulin for their size, right? Yeah. yeah. So if I look at like her loop app, she's using like 20 or 30 units a day, but really that's only like nine or 10, like you 100 units. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that would that would throw someone off. You're like, if you handed them like a, a two-year-old, they're like, here, she uses 50 units a day. They'd be like, what? Wait, stop, what? Yeah, and for a while she was like on the U10, she was using like 200 units a day. And that was like another thing we hit was like the volume of liquid going into her was so high. Like she was up to like, I don't know, 25 or 30 units for like a pre-bolus. Mm-hmm. And it would just take, you know, it takes like a few minutes or whatever for that to actually get in. And I think her sites were just getting like over flooded, like her body's so small. You can't, you can't shove like too much insulin in the same site. Like it, it, I think it just slowed down the absorption a lot. Yeah. It floods it. So that's another thing. Like when you increase the strength of the insulin, like, you know, if you, like we went 30% stronger, like going from U10 to U30. So she's getting like a third of the volume of liquid. Yeah. So that's like another thing to keep in mind is if like, you'll, you'll know pretty quickly if you're diluting too much, cause you'll run out of like the pot will run out of insulin, mm. but you might want to switch even sooner if if you're like using like huge boluses. Like now her pre bolus is like you know five to maybe nine units at the most or eight units at the most. Huh? Do you um do you see tunneling where the 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 liquid goes in and actually comes back out near the uh, near the uh, cannula? Does yeah, that- we we definitely did more with the when she was getting way more insulin. And for a while, when we first switched to Lumjev, that's one of the things that people complain about with Fios for Lumjev is like they have tunneling or occlusions. Mm-hmm. And it's always it's always kind of hard to trust what you read online because you don't know if like, is it really tunneling or an occlusion or did like, they hear you know, they miss on a bolus and they can't, yeah. they can't figure it out or whatever. So you kind of have to take it for a grain of salt. But when we switched to Lumjev, we did for a while have pods that would seem like you could tell if the site's going bad and it would go bad after like two days or two and a half days instead of the full three days. Mm-hmm. But that was also happening with the the U100 or the U10 when we were using like way too much insulin per pod. Yeah. So like pretty early on, we got the prescription switched to switch to pod every two days. But now we're at a place where it almost always lasts like, you know, past three day limit because you get like the what, 12, eight, eight or 12 hour grace period. So we're, we're always, always getting the full site. You know, every once in a while you have a site that just goes bad a little early and you switch it. But got it. For the most part, it's it's working really well. And she doesn't have like any like inflammation or swelling on her sites with the lube jab. Hmm. And part of that might be because it's diluted. Like I've read people that start with like a diluted like 50-50 mix of Lumjev, just so it's not, you know, like the reaction for the vasodilator and the insulin sometimes makes like people's pump sites red or swelling or hurt when like painful when the insulin's going in. Right. So they dilute it for a while. And then over time, the body kind of gets used to that, the vasodilator. And then they like slowly, like other people I've read slowly go to U100 or like, uh, they don't, they like back off that 50, 50 mix. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that's actually where I read people mixing in the pod directly and where I got the idea to do it. Cause most people that use diluted insulin, like they, they buy like sterile vials and they'll they'll dilute like a huge batch, and then they'll just use that one sterile vial, and that's always like the insulin that they pass around to like when they go to school and stuff. So it's always the same. Yeah. Now you're maybe you're making me think about it again because I Fias definitely worked better for Arden in our like limited testing, but it just stung, and so she didn't want to use it anymore. But I I did a couple of times mix it with an insulin that I knew didn't burn, and she could yeah. she couldn't tell the difference then. So I wonder if I couldn't. Yeah, get I would her. recommend. So 
Theosp is the same as Novolog, mm-hmm. like the the chemical makeup. Yes. Like Theosp is just like Novolog with like the additive for the vasodilator, and it's like the same as like Lumjev is Humalog's like fast or rapid acting insulin or whatever. So from what I read, you want to like keep the families together, like mm-hmm. always dilute Lumjev with Humalog or Theosp with Novolog. But right. I've definitely read people that mix like they might just have Humalog if they got Theosp and they mix them, and it seems to. Like, I'm not a doctor or anything, but people say that works. Like, I don't, like, you could probably mix a Pedro with the Aspen. It, it would probably lessen the stinging. But I, you know, the thing that becomes unpredictable is like the duration of insulin action, the DIA. Like, the, there's like a exponential curve on like, you know, when the insulin hits its peak and when it backs off. Right. So if you're sticking with like the same kinds of insulin, it's it's less of a. I would never have mixed a Pedro with the Aspen. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. No, I I've d- definitely I would seen not people mixing that. Theos with Humalog or mm-hmm. Lumjev with Novolog. Like yeah. I see that happen all the time where they do like 50-50 right. to lessen the burn for a while. Yeah, I got you. Um, but yeah, it's do, t- do, do your own part. Yeah, I'm the, not a doctor, blah, yeah. blah. Adam's like, not a doctor at all. He doesn't even have trustworthy yeah. brothers. Don't listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, man, I appreciate you doing this. Is there anything that we missed or should have talked about that we didn't? I don't think so. Cool. We talked about like Hashimoto's and celiac and all that yeah. fun stuff. All that yeah, fun stuff. I think that's all. Okay. I mean, I wanted to thank you for the podcast and like, uh, like even not, not just for my daughter's like care and diabetes, but even for me, like figuring out the celiac and the thyroid, I don't know if I would have gotten that as fast if I didn't hear so many people talk about it and you explain it in like your podcast episodes. And like, even when I, I got my TSH back, I, I think my doctor had like a quote that was something like, you know, your thyroid labs look perfect or look good overall. Mm-hmm. So like having a TSH of 2.7 and like, I, I never would have dug into it without, without hearing about the stories on your podcast. So I just wanted to say, you know, really appreciate it. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for, for that, that stuff. And also all the diabetes like advice, like it's been super helpful. I'm glad I can't thank you enough. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for saying it's very kind of you. Thank you. Um, I just makes sense, right? If this many people are going to listen to the podcast and a, a pretty large fraction of them are going to intersect these other issues, we should talk about them and try to make them things that, you know, come to mind and, and, uh, make you feel like, Oh, I should ask somebody or push about this a little bit. Like, you know, I, I think another thing that we talk about that we almost don't talk about enough is, uh, like low iron anemia, things like that, that, that intersect mm-hmm. so many people and, Doctors will absolutely look right through it. Like you can have anemic numbers and they'll just be like, oh, you're anemic. That's it. Like that's what happens. And like, it's funny how the ranges they use, like the reference ranges are just, they're just like a best guess. Like everybody's a little bit different. And, you know, one number for one person might be horrible for another person. Yeah. And no, it's stunning to me. Yeah. Like it's stunning to me to see somebody that like anemic, and the doctor's just like, "Well, you're anemic. You should take a supplement." I'm like, yeah, that'll help in twenty years. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> big help. I'm dying now. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. and and they're, I you're definitely like, oh. like with the experience. I definitely like second guess a lot of like opinions from doctors, or like you know, you you spend a lot more time doing your own research on the side. Like you you take what they tell you and then add your own stuff. And also, I, I learned like it's really important to advocate for you know, what you want for yourself or your kids or whatever. Because <laughs> yeah. they'll just do like, I mean, every doctor is different. They're not all bad. Like there's some oh, really of course good ones, not. but no, a lot no. of times they just do like the minimum, right? Like 
Yeah. Oh, listen. They probably just get stuck in their day to day. And 100%. There are plenty of doctors who'll see low numbers and go, oh my God, you're anemic. We need to get you an infusion and get your blood work, you know, together so you can feel better and blah, blah. But just the amount of times that it's ignored, or even in other like medical situations where you're having other problems, like, well, you're anemic too. We'll talk about that later. Like, what do you mean you're talking about that later? Like, stop that too. Like, it's pretty simple to give someone an iron infusion. And and yet they yeah. they just act like it's not a thing. And the same thing with your TSH. Like you're talking to your doctor. I'm assuming you've listed your concerns. And then they see your TSH mm-hmm. over two and they're like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I went in there like for that first test and I had a whole list of like the symptoms I was having. I was like, none of these are like, you know, it's not affecting my day-to-day life. They're all like kind of minor things, but they add up. Yeah. And even with that, it's like, oh, your thyroid's good. Like 2.75, it seems fine. And they are, um, they are affecting then, you. You just don't realize it until they get cleared up. That's when you'll know. Yeah. yeah. Even, even after I have, like, I have a special endocrinologist now for thyroid. Mm-hmm. And even after, like, taking the 25 MCG dosage for six weeks, when I went back, she, she, like, asked me if I wanted to increase my dosage. It was so weird. It was like, you know, your TSH is three, like, still like 3.35 or whatever it was. And she's like, do you want to try doubling the dose? And I was like, should I try? And like from listening to you and stuff, I, I kind of knew like I wanted my values to go down, but she didn't like come out and say, I think we should double your dose. She like asked me the question, which was so bizarre. It was like, aren't you supposed to be the one like telling me what to do? Like, I don't know. It's just weird. Oh, Adam, it happens every time it happens. I stop myself from going, Oh my God. (laughs) What do you think? I was like, I mean, I was like, I asked her what her opinion was, and she was like, I, I mean, I think you could try it if you want to. And I was like, uh, okay, like, let's do it. Like, <laughs> it's just weird, like, having so many different experiences. How many people do you hear on the podcast who a doctor says no to them? They go, come on. And the doctor goes, oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. you have no firm opinion on this. Like, you just said no. And some people go, oh, no, okay, I guess no. And then some people go, well, come on, do it. And they, and they don't even resist. They go, yeah, sure. Well, I mean, if you want to, let's try it then. Like, you, so you have no medical opinion. You just said the first thing that popped into your head. And now that I've pushed back the tiniest bit, you're willing to change your opinion 180 degrees? And then there's doctors like her first doctor who is like, definitely no, like, I'm not going to be your doctor kind of thing. So, yeah. like, there's such a big range of, of people that you have to deal with and learn and you know, kind of fight for. Adam, what I hear in your stories is you had a doctor who was didn't know what they were doing and then said they did and went the wrong way. And then you have another doctor who like sees a number that's not right yet and goes, I mean, it's up to you, Adam, a software engineer. Is that what you do is your software engineer? Yeah. Yeah. Great. We'll put you in charge of your thyroid decisions. <laughs> I mean, I found it's not easy getting like an endocrinology appointment these days, like after COVID and stuff, I had to wait like months or whatever. So I I dug around and found one who would like basically say, yeah, I'll give you a prescription. Cause I I know there's some who you have to fight with a lot harder to get, even get the thyroid medication with a two or three ATSH. Mm -hmm. So. Well, uh, good for you. I I probably will get a different doctor at some point, like even my gastroenterologist for celiac, like I would say either of them are great. Like I'm not going to bash them or anything, but you can tell like, what knowledge level people have and how confident they are just by spending some time with them. I'll tell you right now, like we live in a world where I'm fairly comfortable saying that if you can get a doctor who will give you lab results and will be amenable to your suggestions about your medication and you can go listen to the episode with Addy about thyroid, you could probably manage your thyroid better than many doctors that you're going to meet. 
that, yeah, that exactly. I'm fairly, yeah, I'm I'm fairly all, all for doing my own research. And yeah. as long as you have a doctor that'll sign off on prescriptions and do your lab work, then yeah, that's all you really need. It's a bizarre statement, but mostly true. Yeah. Sorry for going back, but I just thought about while we were talking, one more thing about like infants with diabetes is breastfeeding. I don't think we talked about that very much, but in some of like the, the Facebook groups for young kids, like all the time you see, like they just kind of give up on breastfeeding. Like if you have like an eighth month old or nine months or 10 months or whatever, because it is really hard. And that just kind of like breaks my heart a little bit. Like yeah. if that's like something you're trying to do and you, you, you stop it because of the diabetes, like there's definitely ways to figure it out. It's a lot of work, but I guess the advice I would have for that is just like trial and error. And you can't just like wait with the carb ratios that they give you. Like, I think when we left the hospital, they like did some rough math. Like she had to pump some breast milk and they're like, okay, like this much feeding is my, this much milk. And then they have like breast milk typically has like this many carbs per ounce or whatever. So they were like each feeding, why don't you just try to put in eight carbs or 10 carbs or whatever they said. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work at all. So like, you know, you have to, you have to do trial and error, but I, I just like, you can, like, you can definitely figure it out and do it. You don't have to give up. Like if that's something you want to do, you don't have to give that up because of the diabetes. Like, yeah, it's hard, but you can figure it out and you just think about, there's like a lot of fat and protein in breast milk. So you have to know it's going to hit hard at first because there's, there's also sugar, but it'll, it'll like kind of stretch out over time. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think the hard part is like when you're diagnosed at that, young, like it's so hard on the parents. Like you have very little sleep as is because babies already wake up, you know, yeah, once or twice at the night without diabetes. And then with diabetes, it's like multiplied. Um, and then but yeah, the, then the somebody... biggest help with that is having a pump because you can dose like over time, you don't have to like wake up the baby or yeah. dose every like hour or whatever to spread it out and getting diluted insulin. And then like, I think the ultimate, the ultimate thing you can do is do a do it yourself loop. Maybe like OmniFod five or some of the commercial options are good enough now, but yeah, just like you can do it. You just have to, to really try and error and don't be afraid to, to like do more or do less, like change the stuff yourself. Cause if you go back and forth with your endo team, like it can take two or three days or a week before they come back with a recommendation on what to change. And they don't really know like what it's like to care for a kid. Like even, even somebody who has diabetes, like a child that young is so much different than like an adult. Oh my God. So yeah. And, and where are they going to get the feedback from about what it's even like from an infant, right? Like you're yeah. From the- and as a parent, you're, you're looking at the graph, you know, every five minutes, like you're, you have way more data than they have. Even if you send them the graphs, they don't know like, you know, what time she ate something or what time she had milk or yeah, like it's, it's really all on you to figure out, like you can get some advice from, you know, the, the endo team, but if you don't like, if you're not confident doing it yourself, like it's, it's really hard to get right. It's a good place to uh, stop Adam Cause that's great advice. So thank you. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. It's a, an amazing, yeah, a, amazing you. experience you've had for such a short time. And it's kind of you to come on and share it like this. So I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Hold on one second. It was second. good talking to you. Oh, no, I had a great time. Thank you so much. Hold on one second for me. Arden has been getting her diabetes supplies from U.S. Med for three years. You can as well. USmed.com slash juice box or call 888-721-1514. 
My thanks to U.S. Med for sponsoring this episode and for being longtime sponsors of the Juicebox podcast. There are links in the show notes and links at juiceboxpodcast.com to U.S. Med and all of the sponsors. I'd like to thank Adam for coming on the show today and sharing this story. And I want to thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and a thoughtful review in the podcast app that you're listening in right now. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast. The episode you just heard was professionally edited by Wrong Way Recording. WrongWayRecording.com.